0: Good morning and welcome to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberle. Today my guest is former Major League Baseball pitcher Tommy John, who... As some people might know him, the younger generation has probably heard of the Tommy John surgery, and Mr. John is the uh, prime and premier person who actually had the surgery, and that's why it has carried his name all these years. But we're going to talk about not just that. We're going to talk about his career and uh, his thoughts on today's baseball players. Mr. John, thank you for coming for the show. Tommy, You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Tommy, great. I, I really appreciate it. We had this thing scheduled a few times, and uh, both when they fell apart were my fault, but I appreciate you deciding to sit in with me here on this uh, beautiful Saturday morning.
1: Well, you know, it would be more beautiful if the Phillies were still playing in the NLCS or in the World Series or whatever. But, oh, it would have uh,
0: been. <laughs> we're going to get into that one, too, because... Uh, that was uh, that's almost as bad. Well, actually, you should remember this if you remember what we call Black Friday out here in the 1977 NLCS against your Dodgers. When during Game Three, uh, the Phillies had Steve the Garber, five different. Chief yeah. Garber had eight up, eight
1: down. He yep. was 0-2 on Vic Davalio. Yep. Top of the ninth, two out, nobody on. 0-2, Davalio drag bunts. The next hitter was a pinch hitter, Manny Mota. Yep. Did a line drive off the left field wall. Now, if that had been a cheeseburger that he hit out there, Lazinski <laughs> would have fielded it.
0: Oh, jeez. Uh.
1: But he didn't. And, and Ozark was kind of like John McNamara later in the World Series, not uh, putting, um, uh, oh, I can't think of the guy's name, uh, for Buckner. Usually he put.
0: Oh, Jerry uh, Martin. You're thinking of Jerry Martin.
1: Well, Jerry Jerry's usually in left field yeah, on, uh, on the ball, but uh, for whatever reason, Ozark chose to do that. And then the play of the game was uh, was Davy Lopes. Davy hit a rocket off Schmidt's glove, and it bounced right to Boa. Boa barehanded it through to first base, and it was one of those safe out. So and you the think... first base umpire was Bruce Friming, and he gave it a safe sign. Next year, there was Billy Russell hit a single up the middle, and we scored three runs to win 5-4 at uh, being down um, 4-2.
0: I wonder if you know that uh, last Friday night was the 35th anniversary of Black Friday when the Phillies lost that
1: game. um, And then Saturday was the game I pitched against Lefty in a pouring down, in a driving rainstorm that the game should never have been played. But uh, they had to get it in because they, they were up against pro football.
0: Well, do you honestly they're... think? I mean, out here in Philadelphia, we cried and complained about that, about the game should have been called because of rain and so forth. But you both yeah. had to play in it, and both you and Lefty were, were you know very very good, great pitchers. You, you were you were playing in the same conditions. How come it didn't affect you as much as it affected Lefty?
1: Because so he lost. <laughs> If I would have lost. I would have. I would have said, "Shit! we never should have done this." That's Chub Feeney doing. Yeah. This was terrible. The, all of our seasons on the line, and you know, you make excuses for that. And uh, I know when I was doing stuff for the Yankees, uh, I was in the uh, coach's locker room, and Reggie Jackson and I were sitting there next to each other. I said, "Reg, watch this." I said, "Watch this." And then I said, "Hey, boy." tell us about that that game that we played in the ring. was that something and for the next half hour you couldn't have it I mean every word every other word he was worse than Lasorda. oh yeah and I said how about how about Friday's game the <laughs> one that you threw the lopes out at first base. <laughs> And Reggie said, God, do you know how to get him started? And I said, I know how to get all those
0: Philly guys started. Well, you know, Tommy, it's true. That was uh it, that was considered and I think still might be considered the best Phillies team ever to suit up uh, the nineteen seventy seven Phillies.
1: Well, somebody asked me, they said, um the seventy seven seventy eight Phillies, what do you how would you compare them against the reds of the early 70s you know the big red yeah. machine
0: yep.
1: i said well that's like saying how would you compare a plutonium bomb against a uranium bomb there you go they're all going to they're both going to kill you and it's just a matter of
0: how hard they are they're going to kill you yeah but and the reds the reds could handle the pressure the Phillies yeah. always seem to kind of – 76, they get swept by the Reds, which I think was expected. Then they go up against you guys in 77 and 78. And the mistakes look – at, look at game four in L.A. in 78. Gary Maddox never drops a ball. He, he drops, drops a ball. The ball. I know it. Yeah. Never. Yeah, never. I mean, that's, that is, a, that is a, a, a easy play for Gary Maddox every other day. No problems at all. It's hit, And I think it was – was it Russell that hit the ball? Billy Russell, yeah. Yeah, that's what I yeah. thought. It was Russell. And then there you go, and we have to sit and wait another year. And then, you know, we get Pete Rose, but injuries take us out, and we have to wait till 80. But even 80 was a struggle to get there. To win that first uh, championship was had, painful. But
1: you had Moses. Moses was leading you in 80.
0: Yeah, we did. Yes, and, and he did. And he made – I'm, I'm talking about Dallas Green. Dallas oh, da- yes, he was. and that, And Dallas came in. Right man, right time, big guy, big booming voice was able to set yeah, well, the prima donnas Dallas, and you know do the whole thing there.
1: You know, I I hate to I hate to get on Dallas because of what happened to his granddaughter and and yeah. but Dallas said this when he came over to manage the Yankees. Uh, Clyde King, who was George Steinbrenner's confidant, said, "This is a soft ball club. We need to get these guys tougher." And uh, the boss said, Who, what, "What do you mean?" And he said, I, I, "I think we need somebody like Dallas Green to, you know, to show these guys the way." And Dallas came in and he said, "You guys, my God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead you to the promised <laughs> land. You just follow me, and I'm gonna lead you." And Rigetti and Mattingly started calling him Moses. <laughs> and I don't know if Dallas ever figured that one out, but. Um, uh, in fact, he came within a hair's breadth of losing Mattingly. Uh, he would, you know, he, he certain guys you can berate. Uh, yeah. the Phillies had, the Phillies had a team. I don't think you could berate schmidt a lot. I, I, I think Sh- Mike Schmidt was more
0: sensitive than what people thought he was. Oh, big time. Tommy, you couldn't hit it better on the mark. extremely sensitive hard on himself, and sometimes he would say the wrong thing at the wrong time, and it's just he never had command of when to say the right thing.
1: Well, but then then you hit it on, you know, you had Boa. You could take Boa out and tie him to a stump and lash him and and yell at him, and that would just make Boa play harder. Pete Rose was the same way, and I think those two guys probably probably helped win the pennant and the World Series for the Phillies more than Dallas Green or anything. But, you know, it's just it's like this Philly team. The Phillies, uh, I, I had uh, my pick at the start of the year. Somebody asked me to pick the two teams that would be playing in the World Series, and I said Texas and the Phillies. And they said, really, Texas over the Yankees? And I said, the Yankees can't beat Texas. They have a hard time beating them. And I thought, you know, the Phillies had the best pitching in baseball by far, but the reason they didn't win, two of their pitchers pitched crappy games, Cliff Lee and Roy Oswalt. I mean, they did not pitch well. If they just pitch marginally well, the Phillies are, the Phillies are playing the Cardinals. Or, I mean, the Phillies uh, yeah, are playing, you know, yeah. uh, they're, they're one <laughs> step closer to getting to the World Series. And when you get into a short series, you know, not that you've got to have great pitching, but the pitchers that are supposed to pitch well have to pitch well.
0: Well, I've always said a short series, I think, is always to the advantage of the underdog team coming in because anyone can steal a series when it's five games. It's a lot harder to, to take someone out who is the favorite when it's a seven-game series because eventually exactly. things kind of even themselves out. Well, you know, that's
1: uh, in my era when we had playoffs, there were only five-game playoffs, yep. and here's, here's, my, here's my assessment. The, the opposition has a good pitcher. He pitches his, his fanny off and wins. Your pitcher in the second game pitches his worst game, and you lose in the third game either an umpire, a bad hop, a bad play, a Bartman, or something like that happens. And all of a sudden, you lose the series three games, and you really haven't played bad.
0: And that's it. And I
1: I remember in um, 1980, the New York Yankees won 103 games during the season. The Baltimore Orioles finished second. They were 162. Now, if you you said at the start of the season to Earl Weaver, Earl, you're going to win 100 games this year, Earl would say, I'll take it. Well, he won 100 games and finished three games back of us.
0: That's right. That was a, that was a run. Uh, uh, that entire season was a run. You guys were neck and neck. And then I, yeah. I is that the first time that two teams won over 100 games or 100 games plus, and and only yeah. one made the playoffs? Exactly. I thought so. Exactly. That I remember that season. Remember that season. Yeah. I want really- to get to. I'm sorry, go ahead. And, and then we, we, we go into the playoffs, and we go
1: boom, boom, boom. Kansas City sweeps us 3-0, three, three yeah. and people are saying, well, what happened? Well, we, we won 103 ball games. We just kind of, um, I mean, I pitched game three, and so they took me out of the game for Gossage to pitch to George Brett, and, mm-hmm. and George hit the ball in the upper deck
0: to uh, we lost the ball game. I remember that. But then again, the, the Royals were also snake-bitten there in the mid to late 70s. They lost twice before to the to Yankees in the, Yankees. And the, and the yeah, ALCS, yeah. which the most right. dramatic one was Chris Chambliss hitting that walk-off home run in Yankee Stadium when the fans pour onto the field. I know it's not right to do that, but it does make for a great pitcher when people are, are running onto the field.
1: I know. it. You know, now Now, if something like that would happen, they couldn't get the police on their horses out there fast enough for for all that, you know.
0: No, no, they couldn't. But, see, and everyone's kind of afraid, which is a good thing. It's a good thing you don't do it. But I always said I think it makes for great visual uh, stimulation because you're sitting there at home and go, wow, look at all them on Absolutely. the field. Yeah, I do want to get now. Now, you I want to talk about because we've talked before off the air. And I find your career fascinating, not just because of these surgeries named after you, but a multitude of reasons. And I want to start off with, real quick, you were born in Terre Haute, Indiana. Right. When did you realize, when you were growing up, when did it come to you that you had a gift, a gift of being able to throw a a, a baseball?
1: Oh, maybe two or three years old.
0: you serious? I I don't know hey, it's possible. I don't know. Some people have a gift and they know earlier. I got a friend of
1: mine. Well, I would fog my rattle out of my, out of my crib, and my dad said, my dad did say something like that. I had a ball, either a football, basketball, or baseball in my hand when I was old enough to, to handle something like that. And my dad was going to make me a ball player of some sort. And, um, you know, I, I was good, but I was never really great um, until I got to be – when I graduated out of Little League at 12, I mm-hmm. was the smallest kid on our team. I okay. mean, on our uh, on our all-star team. I mean, but I could pitch. I, I could pitch. But I was tiny. And then – I started growing, and when I got to be about a sophomore, uh, junior in high school, all of a sudden I spurted up to be about 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, mm. And I was still, uh, when I graduated, I was 6'3", 360 pounds.
0: Yeah, you're pretty thin. School.
1: I yeah. mean, that's, that's like uh, a golf shaft with legs and arms. <laughs> and, I mean, I had a massive 36-inch chest. You know, I mean, I was, I was massive. I was, you know... Um, but I could throw the ball harder, and, and my curveball, in fact, Cleveland signed me out of high school on my curveball.
0: Well, I was going to ask you, was I, that your dominant I pitch? Talked, huh? Was that your dominant pitch at the time?
1: No. Oh. Uh, my, my high school baseball coach wouldn't let me throw my curveball, but I, I, I had the best, I had, I had an outstanding curveball. Wow. He came up to me one game, and he said, You blankety-blank-blank, if I ever see you throwing another curveball in a ball game, I'll jerk your bank ass out of there. And I said, well, that's how I get guys out. Scouts don't want to see a curveball. They want to see a fastball. And I said, so what do you want me to do? And he said, show them your right hip pocket. Show the hitter your right hip pocket and just throw the crap out of the ball. And that was his advice to me which was, you know, kind of archaic and all this. But when I got into American Legion ball, uh, the coach there let me pitch. And I I could throw my curveball as much as I wanted to. But, um, uh, all, you know, when I got to be 16, 17, um, American Legion ball, because high school ball, we only played 12, 13 games a year. There was no state tournament. There was hmm. nothing. There were no you played, and, and probably half of those games were played on 40, 45-degree weather, wind blowing hard. I remember uh, the coach gave us uh, these green rubber jackets, and I pitched many games in my freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year wearing that green rubber jacket over a sweatshirt, uh, you know, and yeah. with my baseball jersey on over the top of that to stay warm. I mean, you you can't believe how cold it was in Indiana in April and early May. You know, and but then in in American Legion ball, you know, you're playing June, Jul- July and August and that's when the weather gets warm and and that's when I blossomed. It was when I was 15, 16, I started getting that we went all over the tri-state area, Indiana, Illinois and Kentucky. And I was better than any of the hitters that we faced. And that's when I started saying, hmm, you know, this is, hmm, this, you know, there may be a possibility.
0: Interesting. I want to, We're going to roll into a break real quick, Tommy. I want to keep you here with us. We're talking to Tommy John, former Major League Baseball player, surgery named after him. We'll be back in a few moments. In Westchester, Communities That Care announced the third National Drug Take Back Initiative on October 29, 2011 from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at 382 sites throughout PA and Delaware. Anyone can dispose of their unwanted, unused, or expired prescription drugs. Studies show that a majority of abused prescription drugs are obtained from family and friends. In our Westchester area, there are two collection sites. The Giant Food Store at 698 Downingtown Pike and the
1: Bradford Plaza, sponsored by the Westchester Police Department and the Westtown East Ocean Regional Police Department at 1041 Wilmington Pike. For a collection site near you, visit www.dea.gov or call us at Westchester Communities That Care for more information at 610 359 5812 Our mission is to reduce substance abuse among youth, promote positive choices, and strengthen families through the collaborative efforts of our drug-free community coalition.
0: Start your mornings with the all-new WCHE Morning Magazine. It's a healthy dose of all things Chester County and beyond. Local news, local traffic reports, local sports results interviews with local newsmakers and the local entertainment scene plus national guests along with whatever you're talking about around the water cooler plus your phone calls Hosts Doug Sterling and Bill Mason give you all the info you need to face the day with a smile on your face Samantha Feeney provides her unique take on issues of the day and entertainment. That's the all-new WCHE Morning Magazine, weekdays from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. on The Talk of Chester County, WCHE 1520 AM, and streaming around the world on WCHE1520.com. Hi, I'm Bill Berge from the Philadelphia Eagles, and you're listening to WCHE 1520 AM, the talk of Chester County. Yeah. Oh, in I'm ready to play in Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Avery. Today my guest is Major League Baseball player Tommy John. Tommy, um. Tell me, I, I'm curious about this because I've never been in this kind of setting and obviously never will. When you pitched your first game, what was it like to walk out onto the mound?
1: Well, I remember getting called up okay. um, from Triple A ball, and I got called into our manager's office, and he said, uh, Hey, kid, sit down. <laughs> and that's, I, I was called kid for so long, I thought that, that, that was my name. <laughs> um, he said, uh, your contract's been recalled by Cleveland. Uh, you're going to go up and meet him. you know, at this and such a time. He said, I just want to give you, he said, I don't know pitching. He said, but I've been around a lot of good ones. He said, I've been around Warren Spahn, Bob duell, Lou Burdett, those guys. And he said, all I want to tell you is this. You're going to find, you're, you're going to see guys up there that have better fastballs than you, better curveballs than you, better everything than you. But you know what? You're a hell of a pitcher. He said, just be the best Tommy John that you can be. Don't try to be some somebody else. And I took that up there, and I got a chance. I was in um, I was in Washington, D.C. We were playing the Senators. I'm warming up, and they called, bring the lefty in. Hmm. And I'm going to face Bernie Allen, lefty on lefty, and um, uh, no, no, excuse me, Freddie Valentine. And I could not get the gate open out of the bullpen, I, because I'd never seen a, a latch like that. I, I never. Saw, I come from Terre Haute, Indiana. Come on, Washington, D.C. This is where you know Kennedy and then Eisenhower and all those guys. <laughs> And I'm shaking that fence, and it had to be by the grace of God. But the gate popped open, and I walked out onto the field, and I trotted in. I couldn't get my breath on the mound. I was going. <laughs> 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 so I, I, I'm on the mound. Bertie Tebbets gives me the ball. He says, "Go ahead, kid. Throw strikes." So I get out there, and that's what I could do. I I could throw strikes and I threw the ball and uh, I got Freddie Valentine out and the next guy up was a skinny shortstop named Don Zimmer. Uh, that's when Zim was skinny. <laughs>
0: that's a long
1: time ago, brother. <laughs> Zim topped the ball down the third base line and got a base hit and I won't let I never let him forget that. I said, "You son of a gun, you're one for one off of me." And he just laughed like a son of a gun. <laughs> so then I got the next guy out and I I was done with my inning pitching. And um, two nights later, I came in, and um, I faced a couple other guys, and then we went to Minnesota, and I came in, and I faced Bernie Allen with the bases loaded, and I threw him a sinker. He hit the ball on top of home plate, and it went about 30 feet in the air, and I'm standing there waiting for it to come down, and it comes down, and the run crosses the plate, And I thought I did a bad job because I didn't get the batter out. And the manager comes out, Bertie Tebbets comes out, and he said, Kid, great pitch, great pitch. Lucky, that was luck. That's what what we want you to do. Just keep pounding the ball like that. You know, okay, okay. (laughs) And then uh, I got a start uh, out in California. I got a start, my first start in the big leagues, and I pitched against Dean Chance, and that was the year Dean Chance was Cy Young Award winner, 1963.
0: Yeah, the name rings a bell.
1: Oh, God. He he beat me like 3-1, 3-2, and then I come back. My next start is game of the week, Saturday game of the week, against the Angels again, Dean Chance again, and the son of a gun beats me again. So I start out 63. I'm 0-2 and I have a real low ERA, like a two ERA or something. And um, you know, the next year I make the ball club, and I I win my first start. I beat my boyhood idol, Robin Roberts. Ooh. I beat him uh, five to nothing, six to nothing, something like that. And Robbie and I pitched the game in an hour and thirty-two minutes.
0: Yeah, you guys were both known to keep the ball game moving, which I love. I think it's great.
1: Well, that's, that's why I love pitching against Lefty.
0: Yeah, he kept like the game. I like pitching
1: against Stever. I like pitching against all the guys because they got the ball and threw the ball. Gibson, my God, Gibby, you would get in there, sit down, towel yourself off. You looked up, two outs, let's go. You're back out on the field. And the other reason, uh, I, I love facing Carlton. People said, why would you love facing Carlton? I said, because McCarver always caught him, and there was – there was six outs in the lineup right there, McCarver 3 and
0: and Carlton 3. <laughs> oh, gee. Yeah, I guess you're right. McCarver was never a good hitter. Actually, Lefty wasn't a bad hitter for a pitcher. I think he popped about 6 home runs in his career.
1: Lefty was a better hitter than uh I I feared Lefty more than McCarver, but I never threw I never threw pitchers. This was my MO on on pitchers. Okay. And we had a manager named Eddie Stanky. He said, Tommy, you're a pretty good hitter. What do you hit, sliders, curveballs? I said, no, I hit fastballs. Oh, okay. What do you throw pitchers? Why throw fastballs? Why would you throw fastballs if that's what you can hit? That's the only thing that guy can hit is a fastball. Why wouldn't you throw him curveballs? And so I worked on my curveball to throw it for strikes. When a pitcher came up, I threw him curveball, 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 go sit down, strike three, you're out.
0: I like it. I like it. Just keep the well, game that's moving. Why,
1: you know, you see guys now, they throw, why don't you throw a pitcher, three curveballs, sit sitting, him sitting down, let's go, and, and you throw three pitches, he's out. If he could hit any better than that, he wouldn't be pitching, he'd be hitting.
0: Exactly. So, well, Cliff Lee can hit Cliff Lee's got a little power I, at the back. Well,
1: I would throw Cliff Lee curveballs. And if Cliff Lee took a good swing at it, the next pitch would be up and in at Cliff's chops, and then I would throw curveball away, curveball away. But if you look, look at statistics next year or even this year. Go look at pitchers' statistics, how they fare against right-handed and left-handed hitters. You'll find most left-handed pitchers get right-handers out better than lefties, and righties get lefties out better than righties. The reason being is lefty against righty, righty against lefty, that they can throw fastball changeup. And their changeup is always fading away from the hitter. The reason they can't get righty, righty, lefty, lefty out is they can't throw their breaking ball for strikes. Well, or if they do, they leave it in the middle half of the plate. Like the other night, um, oh, last night, uh, the pitcher um, was pitching to pool holes, Grinky. Yeah. And he, he gets him one and two and throws him a breaking ball and leaves it on the inside half of the plate. And it gets whistled out into left field. You can't throw that pitch. At one and two, you've got to make a pitch on the outside corner. At two and two, you've got to make a pitch on the outside corner. And I don't care if you walk pool holes and walk the bases loaded. Albert Poolholes is not going to beat Tommy John. Lance Berkman or whoever's following him is going or Roy Holiday is going to beat Tommy John. Albert Pujols didn't and but guys don't think like that anymore you You have to know going into the ball game who you wanted to beat you and who you didn't want to beat you with the Phillies, I didn't want Schmidt or the Bull to beat me so i could so I had seven guys to pitch to, and if i could uh, you know if I could pitch decently. Against the Phils back when they had their great teams, here's the way I went looking at how I was going to pitch them. Critters 1 and 2. It was used size more in Boa or whomever was hitting first in Boa. And I'm going to face those guys four times. If I'm pitching well, I get those guys out three out of four times. Maybe four out of four, but let's say three three out of four. Then you get Schmidt, um uh, and whomever, Hebner or whatever. Yep. You're going to face those guys probably four times. Uh, Two out of four, two out of four, uh, maybe three out of four. So you've got four, seven outs. Now you've got six outs, seven outs, at 13 outs. And now you go six, six, seven, eight, nine. And eight and nine is uh, McCarver and Carlton, so that's six more outs right there. And then you've got uh, Maddox and whomever is hitting down there lower in the lineup and you're going to face those guys 3 times and you've got four more outs so you've got 6 and 13 is 19 and four more is 23
0: you you got 23 outs so you're breaking it down in your mind before you even start to pitch the game
1: exactly right that's how because i know i know when i go out against the phillies the reds the real good hitting ball clubs, the Milwaukee Brewers when I was with the Yankees, the guys that could swing the bats, you're going to shut those guys down. They're going to score runs off of you. So what you want to try to do is avoid a big inning, and then you know, who who do I want to pitch to? Who do I want to beat me? I, I, I don't want Schmitty to beat me. So if it came down to it, I was going to pitch to the hitter in front of Schmitty, and I was going to... Um, and then, in, remember in 78, though, they had uh, Mike Schmidt was leading off.
0: Yeah, for a while there, because he kind of had a, a run of bad luck. He, had, he was not hitting at all, so they put him in the front spot.
1: They put him in the leadoff, and we faced him. I, I pitched the second game in Philly of the playoffs, and Schmidt, he led off with a line drive. I thought the ball was out of the ballpark. He did, too. He, he went into his Cadillac trot, <laughs> and, the ball, and the ball hit off the top of the wall. Reggie Smith barehanded it and right. threw a bullet into second base. Now, I'm sitting there on the mound, and this is my thought process. Oh, shoot. Home run. Oh, God, double. Oh, wow. He didn't run. Single. TJ, get to hit your belt up. You can pitch your way out of this one. And uh, Lazinski, they bunted Schmidt over. The neck guy hit a ground ball. Waszinski hit a ground ball to say to end the inning. Now, had Schmidt run from the get-go, there would have been a runner on second base, and ground ball, fly ball, and they score one run the first inning. Eh, the game is a little different. As it was, they didn't score, and I ended up pitching seven innings. Uh, no, I, I went up pitching nine innings, yes, I think, did. of shutout
0: I, ball. I believe you pitched and shutout ball, complete game.
1: Simply because Schmidt didn't run. The st- at the start of the game, now I-, I I knew that I was going to give up one or two runs, three runs, and I was just hoping that if I held them to three, the Dodgers had a pretty good offensive team too. Oh yeah, we could score four or five runs, and that was my whole thought. If I could hold them to three or less, I had a very 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 good chance of winning ball game.
0: Tommy, let's um let's kind of move on here. Um. um... This is the thing that really fascinates me, as it does anybody knowing that you have a surgery named after you. When you were pitching that day and uh, the, the, um, the injury occurred, can you tell me what was the pitch that you threw? Fastball. Fastball. Okay. What did the injury feel like when it happened? Did you know instantly this was, this was big trouble?
1: Um, you know, I, I've had – whenever you pitch – I started 700 games in my career. Probably a third of them, or maybe even less, my arm felt 100%. Hmm. Something's always bothering you. Something's this and that. And you just go out, you work it out, you throw, you throw through it, and you pitch through it, and let's go, because your job was to pitch. I knew what pain felt like. This was different than any pain I'd ever had in my life. Gee whiz almighty. Oh, my God. I can't believe how this hurt. Oh, my God. I shook my arm and my, oh, man, alive. What did I do? Did I, you know? And I threw one more pitch. And right when I got ready to accelerate forward, oh, it pained again. And I threw two bloopers up to the plate. I walk off the mound. Walt Alston's coming towards me. And I said, Walter. I've hurt my arm. You better get somebody else in. And I go to the bench. I get my jacket. I tell Bill Bueller, Bill, let's get Dr. Job. Something is drastically wrong. And we went upstairs, and Dr. Job met us in the trainer's room. And now I'm going to tell you something that this was 74. Yep. The Dodgers had a no uh, – the press could be any place in the clubhouse except Dr. Job's office in the trainer's room and the food room, where the guys ate. Okay. Those were the only two places. So I'm in there. He's examining my arm. The media, the the written press was there. The TV stations were there. Radio stations were there hmm. asking me questions and all this. And Dr. Job says, well, why don't we just ice it down? It's probably nothing. Uh, see me tomorrow uh, at 3 o'clock, you know okay. And so the next day I go out to see him and I said, what do you think? Well, he said all the media and press in there, I didn't want to say what I thought. And he said, I think you've torn a ligament in your elbow. And I said, why? And he, back then there was no MRIs, no CT scans. All you had was was x-ray. Well, x-ray doesn't show soft tissue injury. So he held my upper left arm and had one of his associates do... He could open my forearm up about 30 degrees Oh, jeez! until I started screaming with pain. And he said, it shouldn't be this loose. And I went, oh. And then he sent me down to a hand surgeon, and the hand surgeon checked me out, and he said, yeah, I think you've, uh, well, this guy was from Tennessee. And he said, boy, you sure done it. He said, you tore that sucker. And I said, "Okay, what do we do? And go back and see Dr. Job. I took three weeks off, and Dr. Job said, "If we're lucky, in three weeks, it'll start healing, and then when you start throwing, we'll see where you are. I started throwing, felt okay. The minute I got on a pitched surface, oh man it it hurt again. Then I went and I told the our trainer Bill Bueller. He taped my arm up like you would a sprained ankle.
0: Are you serious?
1: Exactly like you would a sprained ankle. And I could throw the ball decently, but not good enough to get big-league hitters out. Now we're about five or six weeks post-injury. And Dr. Job was looking at it, and he said, How's it feel? And I said, not very good. And he said, well, here's, here's the deal. You don't have to have anything done to your arm. He said, but I can tell you this if you do not have anything done to your arm, you will never pitch Major League Baseball again.
0: Hmm.
1: And I said, okay, if I have something done, he said, I can't guarantee anything because I've never done this surgery before. He said, that's why I sent you to see Dr. Stark, the hand surgeon. He had, in the hand and wrist, they do a lot of tendon transplants in there. And he said, Dr. Stark knows, so... He said, "You tell me, what do you want to do?" And I said, "I want to, I want to pitch again." And he said, "Well, if you want to pitch again, the only course of action is we operate." Okay, let's go. And so, and people said, "Weren't you scared?" No, I, I wasn't scared. Why? Because I wanted to pitch major league baseball again, and if I didn't have it done, I was never going to pitch major league baseball again.
0: Did you realize that you were uh, you were setting history here by going through this operation?
1: No, I just thought I was the most unlucky SOB in the world. I just said, why me? You know, what did I ever do? And then, then after it was done, I started thinking, you know, hey, why not me? It, you know, maybe, maybe this was in a master plan that somebody said, hey, uh, somebody of lesser mental capacity than you couldn't handle this. And so you're going to be the guy to spearhead this thing on and um, so I went out, then we had the surgery, and, um, you know, it, it, it's funny. People say, oh, well, the surgery is much different now. Eh, maybe technique a little bit. But after the surgery, uh, I said, when, when can I start throwing? He said 16 weeks. Wow. And you, you know what it is now?
0: It's a, It's less, isn't it?
1: Sixteen
0: weeks. Week. Yeah. Okay. Because I know Jamie Moyer's going through the process.
1: Yeah. And, and and I was down. The Yankees had somebody that had Tommy John surgery about a year or two ago, and the uh, the rehabilitation trainer, Mark Littlefield, uh, came out. He said, "Tommy, look at this. He's six weeks post-op. Look at look at how much. Look at his uh, uh, flexibility, and look at this and that." And I said, "Can he pitch?" "Oh no, he can't pitch." until sixteen weeks. Oh I said, you know what? I was in a cast or a cast or splint for a long time because they didn't know they didn't want me doing something that would re injure it. I said, but you know what? Sixteen weeks when I started to throw a baseball, my arm was just like this kid's right now. And and whether you do whether, you know, But I think doing all this stuff early on, I think, helps speed the process up. But that's the thing. You, you can't speed healing up. God slash nature, whichever you believe in, yep. and I believe that God heals you differently than me, differently than the next guy, differently than the next guy. Some guy may pitch in 11 months. Some may pitch in 12 months. Some may pitch in 15 months. It doesn't mean that the guy pitches in 15 months is a weenie. It just means that he's not ready to pitch. And you have to be psychologically ready as well as physically ready.
0: Well, you you know, you made a good comment about time frame and God. I honestly believe that God will do what God wants you to do in his time-frame. It'll happen when he's ready to let it happen for you.
1: Exactly, exactly right. That's, uh, you know, and somebody said... um, well, I, I said, I, I just, you know, I, I maybe God doesn't want me to pitch. Maybe he's saying, Tommy, this is, you know, there's something else in your life that's better than baseball. And I, I said, I always think that if one door closes, another door will open up. I, I said, agree. but I had my foot in that door jam so that when that baseball door started to close, I didn't want it to close all the way and I was going to have my foot in there to give me every opportunity. Now one of the things that I was that I had in the in my playbook if I could not come back and pitch like I did before surgery, I was going to go down maybe probably the second year, I was going to go down and spend the winter with Hoyt Wilhelm down in Florida and I was going to have Sarge uh, teach me how to throw the nuts Knuckleball.
0: It's funny um, you mention that, because that was one of my questions I thought of today. Did you ponder the knuckleball after you came back from the surgery? Did, do you think you could have thrown it?
1: Um, yeah, but I would have had to completely... Uh, I don't think you can throw sinker, curveball, nut, knuckleball. I think you have to throw knuckleball, 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 knuckleball and maybe a spinner pitch or whatever because it's a totally different release and everything, and I don't think you can, you can throw sinker curveball and then throw knuckleball. You would have to throw 98% knucklers. But I was going to give every opportunity to pitch, and if I couldn't do it, I was going to go down and I was going to learn a knuckleball. And you know what? I probably, maybe I should have done it, because I'm 68 now and I'm in pretty good shape. Mm-hmm.
0: I may still have been pitching. Well, I don't know, Tom. You, you pitched there until you were 46. I mean, and we're going to get into that, too. I I mean, that's a long time. Most people don't have careers that last that long as far as regular work and, the, you know, comparing the years and the time frame and so forth. It, it's just amazing. But I want to – here's a question for you. Now, you missed the entire 75 season, okay? You, you got a rehab. Do you think you're going to have it when you come back? How nervous are you coming into the 76 season?
1: Uh, Well, I I pitched in a ball game on the, uh, the surgery was the 25th of September, 1974. I pitched in a ball game the 26th of September, 1975, but it was in the instructional league because baseball was, was almost over at the big league level. So I went over there. Now get this. I started seven games in the instructional league in 28 days.
0: Do you think that would happen now? Oh, no. We, we we talked about this a few weeks ago about how pitchers are babied and so forth. And, again, we'll we'll, we'll get into that, too. Now, now, the Dodgers got ticked off at me
1: because they wanted me to go down to uh, Dominican Republic and keep on pitching. And I said, guys, the next time you see me, we'll be in spring training. Well, you got to go down there and... And get your arm strong. I said, you weren't satisfied in what you saw in seven starts? Well, yeah, but and all the Dodgers wanted to know is if they had a viable property. And I went to spring training in 76 was the year the owners locked us out of spring training.
0: Yeah, I remember that as so a So when they
1: opened camps back up, I started my first game was against the Mets. I went three innings. My second game was against Houston. I went five innings. My third and last start of spring training, I only had three starts in spring training after not having pitched since July of 74. Here it is, April of 76. They give three starts, and the season starts. I I pitch five innings against uh, Atlanta. I think I pitch, I give up five runs, maybe three earned. And I, I didn't pitch bad, but I didn't pitch well. Uh, maybe it was six innings I gave up three earned runs because I remember my ERA was 450.
0: Well, that's considered um, a quality start now if you get three. That's a, that's
1: a quality start, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the next day, Walt Austin, I'm on my way out to go run, and Walt says, um, hey, young fella, get over here. Uh, yeah, he said, uh, we can't keep messing around with you. I said, what? And I said, messing around with me, but what? He said... Next start's your last start. If you don't pitch any better than that, that, he said, we're going to have to do do something else.
0: Well, that's a little because bit of I pressure. Had
1: Walt, I, I had told Walt in spring training, um, I held out. I, 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 this was kind of ballsy of Tommy John, because I held out in spring training. All the Dodger personnel, Peter O'Malley and all the vice presidents and Fred Clare and everybody called me up. Tommy, if it hadn't have been for you in 74, you would, uh, we would never have won the pennant, boom. So now 75, I go to spring training, and I hold out. And they said, what, what, what are you doing? And Austin called me in. He said, are you trying to make the O'Malleys mad? I said, no, I'm just trying to get what I think I deserve. And he said, well, they're going to release you. And I said, "Well, you can release me right now. And you know what? By this evening, I will have my apartment packed up, and I will be on my way to Tampa, and I will sign a contract with the Cincinnati Reds, And when I come back, I will beat the Dodgers out of pennants. So you do whatever you want to do. And I think Walt Walt didn't like me very well, and I didn't like Walt. I just thought he was archaic, and I thought that. uh, So anyhow, my second start in 1976 season could be my last start. And we're in Houston, and as it would happen, it was a crazy inning, and I had runners on second and third. Two out, Bob Watson up. I went 3-0. and The bullpen is warming up. If I walk Watson, I'm out of the game and I'm gone. I'm history. Joe Ferguson, my catcher, comes out and he said, Well, TJ, this is probably going to be your last pitch in baseball. Let's make it a good one. Let him hit it off the ball. Oh, jeez. Okay, so I threw him a fastball. He took it. Strike one. I threw him a fastball. He fouled it back. I threw him another fastball. He fouled it back. I threw him another fastball. He swung and missed, and so I escaped the first inning. Second inning, I go out, I pitch a little better. Third inning, I go pitch a little better. Now I'm starting to get a little cocky. You know, well, oh, yeah. I'll drop down, throw some sidearm pitches, and throw some slow curve balls. And, you know, you're starting to get some confidence back. And I pitched seven innings of two-hit baseball in, my, in, in the start that I had to win or I'm gone. And I come in, and... Uh, Walt said, I'm going to pinch it for you. And I said, did I pitch well enough to get another start or, or, or am I toast? And he just looked at me and didn't say anything. And I, I went upstairs and I finished the year 10 and 10. Yep. And the last half of the season, I really started to pitch for pretty well because it took me that long to figure out what I had to do to get, you know, to pitch. Here's Here's my... Thought on pitching. Anybody can pitch. Anybody can pitch when you've got your A game, when you've got your stuff. The quality pitcher pitches a good game when you've got nothing. When you've got absolutely nothing, you figure out what you've got to do to get six, seven innings in. And at the end of the season, I started figuring out what I had to do to get into that sixth, seventh, seventh, eighth, ninth inning without having my my real, 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 real good stuff. You know, and I finished out that year, Alston resigned, Lasorda comes in, and I win 21 games, or I win 20 games, I go 20-7. and And um, it was like night and day, pitching for Lasorda or pitching for Alston. My gosh, you, you can't believe how much fun it was to pitch for Tommy.
0: Uh, Tommy's a different kind of breed. Tommy, I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to ask you if you can do me a favor here. This interview is sure. going so well, and I have a lot of questions that I'm not going to get to in this interview. Would it be possible to have you come back on in a few weeks and do a part two with me? Sure. Love Perfect. It. Perfect, because i got so many things I want to ask, and, and it's, I'm not going to get to them. And I know the no. audience wants to hear more and more so I want to take it to right, still kind of stay where we are here during your comeback trail. Let me ask you something here. When 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 Austin comes to you and basically says, look, this is your last start. If you don't get it, you're out of here. Mental strength, I understand that. It's very important to an athlete, to, to a high-powered businessman, et cetera. How did you feel? Did you feel ticked off? Were you a little nervous, or you just didn't give a damn?
1: Um, well, one, I thought... Like I said, I didn't like Walt Alston, Um, and when he told me that, I um, I I thought, you you know, I said, "You old sob," Hmm. you know. So I asked him. I said, "Well, if my second start is going to be my last start, maybe can I name my lineup?" (laughs) And oh, he got incensed. He says, "What?" And I said, "Well, you know, hey." a condemned man is going to die, they give him his last meal, True. and he can pick out whatever he wants. If this is my last meal, can I name my lineup? And he said, I'll let you name the catcher. And I said, Joe Ferguson. And he said, why Ferguson? And I said, could Joe and I work well together? Okay. And so he he let me have Fergie, and, uh, you know, Fergie wasn't the best catcher, but Joe and I work well together. And I just, I I, I just... I, you know, I said, how 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 can you guys have somebody that pitched his butt off for you gets injured, comes back, and you're giving two starts in the season, and you're going to throw him out to pasture? And I said, you know, really, I didn't care if I pitched well or I pitched bad. If I pitched bad, I knew they were probably going to release me, and I would end up signing with Cincinnati. Or some other ball club.
0: What made you so sure well, on Cincinnati? You had Cincinnati down when you were holding out. Had you had made contact with Sparky Anderson at the time?
1: No, but I knew that I pitched. I pitched well against the Reds, and the Reds were the um, they they were the big rival of the Dodgers in the National League West. And I just knew that that would tick everybody in the Dodger organization off if I went over and pitched for the Reds. So I just brought that up, and I would have because they had the best ball club outside of the Dodgers yep. in the 70s. It was either the Reds or the Dodgers that won the pennant, and um, so we, um, you know, we had pretty good uh, rapport with, you know, with the Reds players and all that. And I didn't know Sparky very well, but um, uh, I, I just I just thought that if if I'm going to go, the best place to go is someplace. That where you've got a chance to win. You you, you don't want to go to a last-place ball club because you've got no chance.
0: Well, you have and nothing you're, really you're, to pitch for. You really don't have anything to really – I shouldn't say you have no. nothing to pitch for, but you don't have that drive you would have as far as being in a con, on a contender.
1: Well, that and you don't have the players back, of you, that you would have with the contender. I, I just looked at myself pitching in Cincinnati, even on AstroTurf. You know, they had a pretty good defense. They had guys that could shag the ball down. They had hitters that could hit the ball. And, uh, you know, and I just thought, plus it's close to home. It was uh, three hours, three and a half hours from my hometown in Terre Haute, Indiana. Mm -hmm. And my sister lived in Cincy. And I said, you know, it might be a nice place to go because it's it's back home. It's in the Midwest.
0: Well, you know, it's, it's, it going back to this, to the big red machine back then. You're right. They had, I think they had everything. Johnny Bench, uh, very good catcher, a uh, great hitting catcher, Dave Concepcion playing shortstop. So you had, you know, especially on that old AstroTurf, Joe Morgan, Pete Rose, Cesar Cedeno, George Foster, you know, th- they were the complete team back then. Would you agree?
1: Uh, they had everything. Yeah. They, they, they really did. They had everything. And, um. Um uh you know it, it was it, it was a great great rivalry Dodgers Cincinnati and uh I was a ground ball pitcher and I knew Morgan and Concepción probably the weak link on the the infield was Rose at third base uh Perez at first base could play yep Johnny Bench was a great catcher uh, Geronimo and center field could track the balls down. Griffey could track a ball down, and George Foster was a liability. But uh, you know, I mean, whatever their liabilities were, they made up offensively.
0: Yeah, they did. They they actually you know, but a very powerful hitting team. Foster, I think, in '77 popped out 52, which was a tremendous amount back then. Oh. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, no was- one did that back then. Yeah. If you were you were winning the uh, home run title, if you were hitting in the mid to high thirties for home runs. Absolutely. You know, now it's well, it, it's starting to change again. Now it's starting to come back to a pitcher's game. But but for yourself, how good did you feel during the '76? I'm I'm sorry, during the '77 season. Uh, you know, the Dodgers had a great year that year. You come out, you win the first of 320 game seasons. You've done this after the surgery. I mean, walk me through a little bit here before we have to break off for the 77 season for you.
1: Well, I tell you what happened. I'm I I had I had signed a contract to pitch 77 and the Dodgers had said that they would keep negotiating on a multi-year contract. So I wanted a 2-year contract. And Every time I pitched a good game and my, and my agent would call up Al Campanis, Al would say, well, he's got this and that. And then I'd pitch a bad game, and Al Campanis would say, how can we give him an extra year contract? He's going to have this and that. Well, now it became, it, I, I knew I had to pitch. Every game had to be top-notch. And I'm pitching uh, at the end of, actually, I'll tell you the date. It was the 1st of May. Hmm. We're in Atlanta. And we get 13 runs against Phil Necro. I can't go five innings for an easy win. I give up five home runs. And the last home run, I give up. Billy Russell fields the barrel of the bat at shortstop, and the ball goes out of the ballpark.
0: Oh, shattered bat?
1: Yes. And I go to the umpires, Paul Runge. I said, Paul, is there anything I can say right now that will – Will get me thrown out of the game, and he said, "No, but Lasorda's going to take you out anyway." And I look up, and Tommy's coming out, and I lose it. I go in, and I'm screaming and yelling and cursing, and I throw a bag of baseballs and all this. And Lasorda comes in, and he said, "Calm down. Go go take your shower after the game. Be in my office." And I thought, "Uh-oh. You know, I've stepped over the line." So game's over. Dodgers win. I go in Tommy's office, I shut the door, and I think at the time I'm maybe two and three, and I've got double-digit ERA, or close to it. It's either eight, nine, it might have even, it was terrible. I mean, it was terrible. And Lasorda said, look, I know what's happening. He said, you and Al, you know, you're trying to get a contract, and Al's pulling your chain and all this stuff. Look, we're going to win. And we're we're going to win this year because you are going to pitch and you are going to help us win. We're going to win because of you. Now, he pulled out a schedule. He said, 1st of May, Sunday, your next starts Friday night at Dodger Stadium. Your next start is Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, will be Wednesday. Thursday's off. Your next start will be – he went through the entire schedule – Marked them down. He said, Tommy, these are your starts. If you win them all, if you lose them all, these are your starts. You're going to pitch every five days for the rest of the year because I believe in you. And, you know, I looked at him, and I walked out, and I said, Tommy, I'll pitch my butt off for you. And he said, I I know you will. And it was like a big rock was taken off my shoulders. I go out, he says, oh, by the way, we're going down to San Diego. Go home. Come down, do your workouts, and after you're done, get in the car, go back home, spend the four days with your family. Yeah, let's sort of get away it. from here.
0: Tommy, listen, I really I, appreciate you coming on today. We have to close it up, but we are going to talk again. We're going to set a part two up for sometime in November, and I really appreciate you coming on. You're welcome. Thanks talk a lot, to you Tommy. Later. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. bye now.